0: Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones.
1: to everybody, especially you, KJ. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Excellent. 2-0 are the Knolls. Big showdown on tap. We will break down the matchup with Louisville, certainly throughout this edition of The Front Row. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeldt, will join us uh, to offer his insight. The news is I don't know that I can say the news is good. There is good injury news and that a lot of guys are back at practice. How about it could have been worse? It could have been worse. Obviously, Derwin James is the top story, and this has been much deliberated. I think the media has done a pretty decent job of understanding that even in a route-type situation that Derwin James needed to play and guys play in that situation. There was some fan angst, obviously, when Derwin went down. I don't know how much of that we can rehash because if you if you really feel that he shouldn't have been on the field then, then you probably feel that
2: starters shouldn't have even played, period, against Charleston Southern. Well, two things about Jimbo. Number one, even in blowouts, his preference his preference is always for the starters to come back and play the first series of the third quarter because he wants them to go through the uh, imagination of, of halftime and then getting yourself back ready and then getting back out on the field, both sides, offense and defense. He had said, and and I, I can only assume that he was uh, accurate that uh, sometime during the first half they had kind of internally decided they were going to let the starters play two series in the second half for this particular game because it was early in the year. They needed the reps, those types of things. So that's why Derwin was out there. It was it was not because of uh, anything other than that's the way they wanted to do it. Candidly, he needed to be out there because I think he only played 41 snaps.
1: Well, that was the 30-31, I think, was the one he got yeah. hurt on,
2: 31. And, uh, 31. And, 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 and he was responsible he, for the coverage bust. Exactly. In the half. So yeah. you, you, he needed to work is the point. And uh, therefore I don't I don't have a problem at all with I, I think the, out there. I think where fans
1: fans have trouble digesting win the battle versus win the war. Florida State was gonna win that battle with or without Derwin. But you may not win the war if you don't have your secondary out there working together uh, and that sort of thing. And that really is where coaches come
2: at it from. No question. No question. And again, uh, you mentioned injuries. We've got a couple of offensive linemen that apparently will be back, uh, along with who I think is very key with Derwin being out, and that's uh, Nate Andrews' uh, possibility of him now being eligible and ready to play for Louisville. So uh, you you can shore up a couple of areas, or at least one area, and and back up the second, uh, even though Derwin's. Out of the ball game.
1: Let me just clarify: When you say eligible for Nate Andrews, you mean able to play. Able he to didn't play. I'm have sorry. An eligibility no. issue. He's coming back I, from my a, bad, my from bad, a, from a calf issue. Uh, one other thing, and you know, it is what it is, but. It bears noting that Clemson against Troy, now they were in a much closer game, but still an overmatched opponent. They lost their starting slot receiver for four to six weeks. They also lost potentially their best linebacker, Ben bolware, who went to ACC Media Day for this week with a bad ankle. So this is uh, this is just something that, hey, it's called football. It's,
2: well, it's says it's, it's
1: ball. It's now, just I ball. I don't know what point in the game they lost them. Uh, it really goes back to something that you and I have uh, talked about, and obviously we've gotten no traction with it, but... You know some conferences aren't going to play the old 1AA opponents uh, anymore the the FCS teams. They they're not it's not permissible. Jimbo is a proponent of doing it because it helps them uh, you know it helps grow football really. If you don't get these guarantee games, they probably can't foot the bill to to keep their football program or athletic department running. You could play could could you schedule these as preseason games where the result doesn't matter? Could they become spring opponents? Uh, where they come in and they're they're not on your regular schedule, that sort of thing.
2: I, I I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think I have been a proponent for a while now. I think you're kind of on the bandwagon when it comes to the spring. I would rather see scrimmages against equal opponents that you're not scheduled to play anytime soon. I would
1: agree. That would be bigger bang for the buck and more excitement, no because question.
2: Because you, the FCS squads would not get the same amount of revenue to come to Doak for a spring game that they would get to come for a regular season game.
1: Nor would uh, they for a preseason game if you knew well, it wasn't going to count. We
2: don't have preseason, so that's a, that's kind of a two-fold thing. Number right. one, we got to create the preseason, and then we got to figure out who we're going to play. Uh, and I don't think anybody's ready to do that just yet. We'll see.
1: Yeah, so for now, those games will stay on the schedule. Florida State has more scheduled in future years, and you just have to cross fingers and hope they get through, but it is what it is. Uh, Have you watched the Showtime show
2: yet? I have not watched the Showtime show. I have watched the previews that uh, they send out with the uh, YouTube uh, connection or, or whatever. Uh, so uh, I have watched those. I
1: thought maybe they flew VHS tapes to your house so that you could watch those. You actually, you click on a I'm, little... I
2: have a beta. It's something have on a your computer and it, it
1: shows the video. Is that how that works?
2: It, it does work that way.
1: How Im- about that? Impressive. Uh, I, let me remind you that our good friends at Madison Social, they have a viewing party every Tuesday night at 10 o'clock for folks like yourselves that don't subscribe to
2: showtime well not necessarily folks like myself because my bedtime is nine o'clock because of my age well
1: that's a whole different issue that's a whole different but issue. but
2: if i was up and was around there
1: that's where i'd be no question madison social has had a uh, great turnout from what i can gather it's past my bedtime basically too uh at, at that point but they've had uh, great gatherings for these first couple viewings of The Florida State uh, series which has been interesting so uh, I'll invite you encourage you remind you to go out uh, perhaps you'll go there this week if you're not going to Louisville and uh, enjoy the football festivities on Saturday don't forget that Centrale their uh, Italian parlor is scheduled to open uh, in coming days or weeks that's basically right next door same side of Madison Street there Uh, in college town so uh madison social thanks again tip of the cap to them the showtime show by the way you need to watch it last night's episode was better than the first because the first week they had 12 trillion hours of footage to try and cull down to 30 minutes so it's 10 seconds which means that you can't do a good job with anything you include now they just had a week and it was much better and i figured it would go that way and it will be that way the rest of the year because uh humanize the stories more and the two folks that they humanized the most last night were charles kelly and Derwin James, not surprisingly. and uh, Well, I
2: did watch the clip that was pre-released uh, that they do on uh, Tuesdays to selected media outlets where they, uh, Dr. Thompson was in there and he was given the news of reading the MRI. Did
1: he grow a beard just for his appearance on Showtime? I don't know. i sure. sure. I know
2: Dr. Thompson from, from uh, his work with the basketball team and he's, he's always been around uh, Tallahassee Orthopedic Clinic and, and, and I found that interesting. The other thing that I found interesting uh, that I just didn't think about is uh, Jimbo was there with him. Now, obviously, he is a star player. But he's a sophomore, and Jimbo's got 85, 84 other scholarship players to take care of, as well as two young boys that he's he's the dad of. And uh, I just found it interesting that he was there for the actual taking of the MRI and the actual reading of the MRI. Uh, There have been those that have suggested that Showtime has done a great job, which they should, of making Jimbo out to be this – this uh, icon of a coach who's a a player's coach and always a part of what's going on and thinking most of the benefit for the player. Uh, But that was a tangible evidence of of what he would do. Uh, I I just found it a little interesting that the head coach would be there during something like that. And and hats off to Jimbo for taking the time to do it. Well, two things on that front, if I
1: can remember both of them, because I think one of them just dissipated right through here. But I was going to make the point that uh jimbo has preached players since he got here so whether you buy into that is it made for tv or not i mean since jimbo took over in 2010 everything he's wanted has been about the players we need a dorm for the players nutrition nutrition we need more strength coaches we need more psychological uh, development everything is so that is what he hangs his hat on there in terms of player development so it didn't surprise me that, that that he was there for that and
2: I forget what the second thing was. See,
1: I'm, I'm getting closer to your age group right now. I'm
2: having so that was an that was one I'm thing. For, that was one. You thing. should see what I could do to your golf game. I can ruin it in two holes.
1: Well, that's impossible because it's been ruined for many many years. <laughs> All right, Florida State has a big game against Louisville this week. Uh, before we talk X's and O's, people are up in arms that it's another 12 noon kick. Now that's been set since June and I will allow that if the TV networks knew that Lamar Jackson was going to become a human highlight film, they probably would not have set this game for, and known it was going to be a top-ten game. If they could have a mulligan, speaking of golf, they would go back and reset it.
2: Disagree. Disagree? Disagree. Okay. And you and I have had this conversation. Last year, maybe just this year, like going back to last year, the networks are trying very hard to make those noon and 1230 kickoffs marquee kickoffs because if they can get the fans out of bed and on the tube early – Then they can supplement that with the seven or eight o'clock prime time. Yeah, now I I, was—I think the twelve o'clock kickoff is absolutely good for college football and terrific for Florida State individually.
1: I I do agree with that, and they have made a—it's been a sea change the last two years because the 12 noon games, quite frankly, were horrible for about 15 years, so they have a stigma attached to them. But this is a conscious change decision made by the TV folks of a couple years ago. They figured out they could schedule games whenever and people will watch, and so they'd rather keep the audience from college game day all day long. That's why it's happening. I'm just suggesting if they knew it was going to be a top-10 game, two Heisman— potential quarterbacks in there, Dalvin Cook they might have looked at it and said maybe we'll play this other game at noon and we'll make this something that builds all day that being said it was completely erroneous and false the reports that they were considering changing the time in the last
2: couple days that oh, as you said that's been set for that's a been long set time. since June and that wasn't changing and the USF uh, time has been announced that uh, they'll kick at 12 down in Tampa but that's because That's that 11- or 12-day window thing that they use, however that works out. Which is another topic altogether.
1: All right, we'll step aside. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, will join us when we come back. We will uh, break down the matchup that is a top-10 showdown in the ACC. FSU and Louisville, that's when we continue on the front row.
0: To the front row with Tom Lock and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979 Espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith.
1: Welcome back to the Front Row. It is time now for our Seminoles.com Insider Report, which means we are going to go to the phone lines and welcome in our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. Of course, this is the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together online at earlbaconagency.com. And we say hello to Tim Linefeld Tim, how are you doing? I'm good, Tom. How are you? I am great. Big week feels fun. These are always a little more interesting than the storylines being short week or, well, the other team that's a one double AFO how, has how many 16 players, players how many suspended. How
2: Louisville have suspended?
3: Uh, none that I'm aware of.
1: This is one of those weeks, though, where you don't have to dig for storylines because the game is the storyline.
3: No, exactly right. And, and even starting the season against Ole Miss, it, it had a buildup to it, but it didn't quite feel the same as, you know, you finish up that one game and you turn the page and know that there's a, a big-time matchup coming the, uh, the next week. This is the first time this season that I think it really feels like there's a lot of energy around here.
1: Well, there should be. 12 noon game, college game day will be on hand. And, oh, by the way, Louisville, all they've done is uh, – Boat race, both their opponents so far: seventy to fourteen over Charlotte, sixty-three to twenty-eight at Syracuse last week. And Lamar Jackson has gone from completely off the grid—not among ACC media or fans, but nationally—he was not on anybody's radar. And now, lo and behold, he's on the short list for the Heisman invite.
3: Through two games, well, I, think, I think if you were to to award it today, which obviously you wouldn't, uh, I don't know how he wouldn't at least have an invite. I mean, the guy's got over a thousand yards, thirteen touchdowns. I was just looking this up. I don't know if you can tell. So. I uh, I'm pretty well-versed in what he's done. But it really is remarkable, regardless of the competition that he's played, which uh, will uh, will increase dramatically this week.
2: The comparisons that are being made to him, though, are are to Michael Vick, i.e. he's a run-first, pass-second kid, but the passing is just so dramatically improved from last year to this year.
3: It really is. And I think the thing you have to keep in mind with that is for a guy like him, and, and Michael Vick did this too, his ability as a runner – made him better as a passer because his ability to extend plays and and create something out of nothing makes it really, really difficult for those defensive backs to stay glued to their receivers. And when things break down or there's confusion, uh, he can either take off in that running lane. And Demarcus Walker told us the other day that he's the fastest quarterback that he's ever seen, uh, or he can scan down the field, and and odds are he's going to find one of his four or five receivers downfield that, that has managed to find an opening. Uh, and chuck it down there and so uh, yeah it's it's a it's a pretty big challenge for any defense
2: speaking of those receivers they must have half of their team must be wide outs 16 kids have called a pass for louisville eight different players have called a touchdown pass
3: yeah and uh, it, i think that probably speaks at least a little bit to uh to the 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 scores of those games getting some guys in and, and empty in the bench but i think you know the guy that you you probably need to watch out for is, is james quick he had a really big day Uh, here at Florida State last year he's a senior he's averaging 70 yards per game but again those the stats and those numbers are probably a a little bit skewed based on the fact that you know Louisville was winning all their games by 40 or 50 points for most of the second half
1: well every all the talk is on Derwin James right now and uh, the fact that he's not available this week so what is your thought on how Florida State is going to attack this defensively is it just going to be A.J. Westbrook that moves in there Uh, and and Marcus Lewis stays at the star, will they use Trey Marshall as a guy to potentially spy him? How do you think this will work?
3: I honestly think that they could try a number of different things and either use them based on different situations or kind of figure out what works and and what doesn't, hopefully early in the game, and go from there. A.J. Westbrook is obviously an option. Nate Andrews has been back at practice this week, and so he'll play a role. I wouldn't be surprised if he were to start at safety. And then the other thing is that when we saw it in the open practice, Uh, in August that they can use Marquez White at safety. They've given him a lot of work there. He's cross-trained there, and then at that point you you move him back. And now Marcus Lewis and Tavares McFadden are probably your base cornerbacks. So I think they have a lot of different combinations, and they'll they'll probably sort of have a a checklist for whatever the situation may be for what they decide they want to do. You mentioned Trey Marshall as a guy who could spy. That's an option. I also am really curious to see what they do with Matthew Thomas. I think he might be the – the, the X factor, so to speak, he wasn't available in the Louisville game last year. And he just, when you, when you look at, um, and I wrote about this on the site, and, and people can check it out, there's a there's an animation that shows that the, the play in the first quarter of the Ole Miss game, it was like a 30-yard gain for Ole Miss, so it wasn't a good play. But Matthew Thomas runs down a, a wide receiver straight up from behind and in the open field, uh, which should have been a touchdown, and this this big linebacker, is is the one who makes the play. Uh, just his speed and athleticism. I think he he's probably. We would say that Derwin is the most athletically gifted guy on the defense, but I don't think that Matthew Thomas is too far behind. And I really think that he could sort of be the the Lamar Jackson neutralizer uh, in the in the defense. He's a guy that I would watch for sure.
2: However, Tim, I would argue with you that spying Jackson doesn't work. He's too fast.
3: That could be too. And and you know, I think we all we all kind of at least me, I you know use spy as a ubiquitous term for. You know, pay attention to the quarterback. But uh, everybody
2: everybody needs to be spying.
3: Well, that's the thing. thing, Right? If it were that simple, uh, you know, it's not like these other defensive coordinators haven't thought of this. But, uh, but, but overall, the 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 point being that I think that he could be sort of Matthew Thomas would not not play the Derwin James role. But we all sort of thought that Derwin James was FSU's secret weapon, so to speak, against Lamar Jackson. And, And and Matthew Thomas is a guy that I would like to see. You know, if he's able to do that, I think he probably can.
2: One more quick point on that uh, and, and reiterating that that uh, Jackson's a runner first, a passer second. You know, he's averaging, uh, you know, 170, 160 yards a game rushing. He's like third in the country. His completion percentage is uh, a little under 60 percent, and he'll throw an errant ball occasionally. I would think while you want to mix it up, the first line of defense – is four or five people putting pressure, staying in the rushing lane, not letting him get outside of the pocket, and making him beat you through the air down the field.
3: I agree. And, and you know, the other thing, and you kind of alluded to this as well, uh, as, as good as Louisville has been moving the ball and, and scoring points, uh, they haven't always done a great job protecting the ball. They've turned it over six times. Believe it or not, they're actually minus three in turnover margin against Charlotte and Syracuse and Florida State, as we know, has been really, really good uh, forcing turnovers so far. They had four against Ole Miss and a few more against Charleston Southern. I think they're plus six in turnover margin. Uh, I talked to Marcus Lewis after the game, and now every defensive player is going to say this. He said, "You know, their goal is to create four or five turnovers every single game, and I mean, no better way than to keep Lamar Jackson and his cohorts on the sideline by by forcing a fumble or forcing an errant pass and and getting those turnovers. It's been a big part of Florida State's success so far." They probably couldn't have completed that comeback against Ole Miss without them. Uh, If they can keep that up, that really, I think, swings the game in their favor on Saturday.
1: Let's move to FSU's offense. Kareem R. and Wilson Bell were back at practice yesterday. Do you expect both of them to start this Saturday?
3: I think so. I think they're practicing this early in the week. It sounded like they were close anyway. I think uh, especially Wilson Bell, Jimbo Fisher, said last week could have played in an emergency Uh, against Charleston Southern had he needed to. And and Kareem Marr's been on the men for a few weeks, and they've been expecting him back. So I think both of those guys uh, will come back and will be welcome additions.
1: Well, if that is the case, it feels to me like the offensive line just took a huge step forward, certainly the left side, based on having R out there for the first time. And on the right side, I mean, you consider Rick Leonard has played two games in his career, and it's been next to two different guys. And one of those guys was playing his very first game. So, I mean, this would give a better chance uh, across the board if both those guys play.
3: Absolutely, and, you know, look, I think to a man, everybody on the offensive line would tell you that they want to do better and, and need to do better, but it, at least for the first two games, it kind of reminds you of, of last season and that they just, through injuries or, or whatever reason, mostly injuries, they haven't been able to get a, a set group of starting five and, and let those guys work together and practice, work together in the games and finally get that continuity. And you mentioned for a guy like Landon Dickerson. I mean, Landon Dickerson 17 years old. Uh, Rick, Rick Leonard has been in alignment for, you know, six months. Uh, getting continuity and and being able to get comfortable with your your other linemen is really important for those guys. And just so far, it hasn't been able to happen. So, like you mentioned, just getting everybody back and, and healthy, and hopefully healthy at the same time for longer than one or two games, uh, would be a really huge deal.
2: We all know about Louisville's athleticism on the offensive side. They're also very athletic defensively. But if there's a if there's a weakness in that Louisville defense, it might it might arguably be the secondary after. Uh, although the last couple of years they've been amongst the nation's leaders in interceptions there's some new kids back there
3: yeah well that's kind of the uh, the upshot uh like we, we've sort of seen it here uh, lupus had a lot of guys drafted uh over the last few years both in the secondary and uh, up front and the front seven and so yeah they are breaking into new guys and you know look Syracuse uh, was able to move the ball and score some points and obviously their uh, their offense is a, is a lot different than, than Florida State it's a lot faster Uh but, but, you know, they, I don't think they exactly ran into a brick wall last Friday night. So if you assume, like I do, that Florida State is, is probably more talented than Syracuse and has better playmakers on offense, I do think there's going to be some things for Florida State to exploit. I, I honestly I don't know if you could pick up on this. I expect a fairly high-scoring game uh, on Saturday. I think it'll be pretty exciting and, and a lot of fireworks, I wouldn't be surprised at all, and you shouldn't be either. Uh, if Louisville is able to, to break some big plays and, and score some points as well, but, uh, but I think Florida State will be able to respond in kind.
2: Well, Tim, I'm fixing to mention something that's going to make my partner Tom Block just go white in the face, and that's that's the long way long range weather forecast is for rain in Louisville and 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 tom tom got an invitation from noah to show up last time he was in louisville on the sidelines when no it comes no rain. I missed the
1: invitation i would have been on an arc <laughs> hopefully undercover had i gotten that invitation last time true story on that not that uh, we need tim to weigh in on this but i I literally just threw out my shoes and socks that i didn't bother to try and pack i might have thrown out the shirt i was wearing too it was that wet i just said forget it that was I'm that gonna...
2: that was the overtime loss at louisville thanks for are you going to bring this up every week no Okay.
3: It certainly can't be that wet again, Cannon. That was, uh, I think they promised against
1: that. That was. Yeah, it was going to be fire next time. I, it, it literally, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I've been on the sideline a lot and plenty of times it rains. That game, it was pouring in the first quarter, raining harder in the second, harder still at halftime, harder in the third, harder in fourth, and harder in overtime. And I'm not making that up. It was unbelievable. And anybody. Find an FSU fan if they'll admit that they were there that Thursday night for that debacle, and they'll tell you the same thing.
2: Well, all that aside, if, if weather comes into play, whose advantage does that work towards, would you think, Tim?
3: Well, I'd like to think Florida State's uh, in, uh, in the effect that you, you, if you go to lean heavily on your running game, and I think Florida State would under those circumstances. I think they might anyway, but if, if the weather's a factor and you want to keep the ball on the ground, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give the advantage to Dalvin Cook uh, I was talking to him yesterday and it was, was kind of insightful and in, in, in that it was just a bit of a tangent based on what you're asking, but I think it's relevant. Uh, you know, he was asked, you know, are you feeling good? Are you feeling like yourself? Because for for all the flashes he's, he's shown and there have been questions from, from fans and from media is, you know, what's going on with him? He doesn't quite look like himself. And he said, look, I'm just, you know, I'm taking what the defense has given me. And, and you know, sometimes it breaks off for a long run like it did against Charleston Southern and, and other times it doesn't. Uh but he said he's confident. He said I feel good. I feel you know like my like I'm, I'm rounding into form. And he said you know those long runs are coming. They're 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 going to happen. Uh, and in a game like that, where you know maybe your 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 jersey or your pants are a little more slippery because of the weather, or you're keeping the ball on the ground and trying to pound the way at those defensive lines. Uh, it, it feels a little silly to say that, that Dalvin Cook could be an X factor in that sort of situation because I think he is in any situation. But that could be you know even more magnified uh, if that were the case.
1: Tim look forward to it. I, su- I suspect that you will be there this weekend, will you not? Oh yeah, absolutely. All righty. Tim Winnefell, our Seminoles.com insight. Appreciate the insight as always, Tim.
3: You got it, guys. Anytime.
1: All right, Tim, joining us via our Earl Bacon Agency hotline, ensuring your future together. Keith, you look like you want to talk, but I'm going to make you wait until our next segment. Okie dokie. Okie dokie. We'll, come- we'll continue on the front row right after this.
0: No we don't need no Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Time for Keith
1: and I to react to the comments of our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. KJ, I want to go back to this discussion about a spy and your point, and I agree with it. If you truly dedicate somebody to be a spy, that's one less guy you have to defend the rest of the field. Florida State typically doesn't do that. Not at all. So really, I think my question is more about if you look at Florida State's depth chart, with Derwin James out at the free safety, A.J. Westbrook is listed as the second teamer. So you move him up and elevate him as the starter. Uh, but if you move Nate Andrews back in at the at the strong safety, then you've got two new starters there in Westbrook and Nate Andrews. Do you do that, or do you leave Trey Marshall there along with Westbrook for continuity, understanding that Andrews has played 41 games, if you put Andrews in there with Westbrook, that gives you the opportunity to move Trey Marshall down to the star in place of Marcus Lewis if you wanted to do that that's really more of the question than than who would truly
2: be the spy and I would go with the latter moving Trey into that star position because remember with Nate you've got somebody that's played forty forty one ball games all right he's not played two games this year, and it's been a while since he's played, but he's a veteran. You can plug him in. He he's not like a first time starter or a new starter, so you can move two or three people and not handicap yourself just because Derwin is out. He's also not a bad player. I feel he's like people a very, we, we we talk about it and we've forgotten how really
1: really good he is. Yeah, I mean I think we've lost lost sight of that and uh, and even if you think maybe he's not the athlete that Derwin James is or whatever, nobody else is. Or uh, at some point. <laughs> less of an athlete that's getting lined up correctly is better than the best athlete in the world that's
2: not lined up. And then, again, I can talk about him because he can't run me down now talking about Derwin, but he had the bust on the touchdown. Right. There has been other plays where he's been a little bit out of position, and that's not a a condemning type of thing. It's just he's still a sophomore. He's still learning, which goes back to the comments we made in our opening segment about why Coach Kelly wanted him in there having reps because that's the only way he's going to get better. Nate is less likely to make those mistakes than even Derwin would. We didn't really reflect on last week's game other
1: than the Derwin uh, injury and debated that a little bit. A lot of young guys played, I think 16 true freshmen, not just among the freshmen, but who else or who stood out to you?
2: Well, again, I think I go back to what was missing, and and that's not the real answer to your question, but that's why I'm so excited about R and Bell being back. Because I think Rick Trickett has had to really kind of patchwork that offensive line over the last couple of games, and we haven't seen a true representation of how good they can be once they get the, the regular five in there playing together. So I didn't, I didn't really answer your question the way you asked it, but that's what I'm most excited about seeing going forward.
1: I think it's fair, to Tim's point, to expect a high-scoring game here. Agreed. You've got a very uh, good offense in Louisville. You've also got a Florida State team that has put 40-plus points on Louisville the last two meetings. Now, two years ago was with Jameis.
2: Last year it wasn't, and Florida State still put an awful lot of yards and points up on the board. If weather is a factor, I agree with Tim that Florida State should have the advantage because I think Dalvin Cook, just the way he is, lower to the ground and, and the way he can plot, he, he can power. Uh, he's not a, a sprinter-type runner, though he has that top-end speed. On the other hand, Louisville's built around that top-end speed, even their receivers. uh, They'll have a hard time potentially making cuts. Jackson will have a hard time doing the things that he does uh, if weather is a factor. The other part of it is Louisville's going to score early. They've scored, I think, 56 points in the first quarter versus seven for opponents. So you're going to be behind in this ballgame for a while. Most of these kids are familiar with that. We saw that two years ago when they got down 21 to nothing. Uh, It's it's going to be important to maintain your poise and play 60 minutes of football in this ballgame.
1: Part of the Showtime series last night detailed Jimbo talking to the team uh, after the Ole Miss thing about, uh, you know, kind of leaning on their reputation and falling behind and how they got to get rid of that. So even though we it's, we all say it externally, uh, suffice it to say the coaches say it internally, too, as, as they continue to try to fix that. We've talked on this show about how Louisville discovered the state of Florida before a lot of college football did. I, I looked at their depth chart for this week. There are 12 starters out of the twenty-two, not counting specialists, that are from the state of Florida, Isn't that amazing on this Louisville team. Isn't that amazing? I mean, and if you look at it, they left tackle, left guard, Ocala, Orlando. Uh, the quarterback is from Pompano Beach. Running back is from Miami. Fullback is from Miami. So their whole backfield is from there. Uh, and then defensively, basically here. basically <laughs> their front seven. They got a DN from Orlando. The other DN is from Jacksonville. They got uh, an outside linebacker from Tallahassee. Uh, keith kelsey's from gainesville uh, inside linebacker from miami and then a cornerback from miami and a safety from hialeah i mean they know their way to florida <laughs> that's part of the reason why they've been so good no question no question bridgewater uh was from state of florida as well so you know it's going to be an interesting uh matchup i don't uh, i've heard some folks talking about it uh, is florida state going to lose a game if they were going to lose a game this year can they recover from this one Personally, this schedule is challenging enough for Florida State to lose a game and still make the playoff. I don't think it can be against Louisville or Clemson as an Atlantic Division foe because there's no guarantee if you lose this to Louisville that they don't run the table. One of them might only have one loss, and they'll they'll win the heads up. To To me, I think you could have lost Ole Miss and recovered. You could probably, people want to hear me say it, you could probably lose against North Carolina or at Miami, two teams from the Coastal. Uh, and have enough time to recover if you had beaten Louisville and Clemson and you're going to win the ACC. It's tougher for me to find a scenario where you lose this Saturday and you still come all the way back. Obviously it can happen, but it's tougher for me to find that in my mind.
2: The good news is that Florida State has had great uh, success against Louisville, Uh, great success with the exception of the rain game and overtime uh, at Papa John. You're getting them at noon. Uh, I'm not really worried about the weather. I think that might even play into Florida State's advantage a little bit. A lot of good reasons why. Florida State faithful should be comfortable, not complacent, not not a blowout, but should be comfortable that Florida State will go in and do the job. One thing that just flashed through my mind because he scored the touchdown that wrapped up
1: the game two years ago, and that's Freddie Stevenson. If memory serves, is he available this week? The Jimbo was he asked about I him? I think he is still questionable, maybe even out. Yeah, I hadn't heard that he was out, but uh, it would be nice to have him back. You take all the bodies you can get. Well, this, but you can replace him with Patrick. You didn't have him two years ago fair point all right we're going to shift gears completely uh, in our next segment and, and talk a little bit about benefits for student athletes we'll do so with a former u.s congressman and unfortunately a former pretty good quarterback uh, on an opponent of keith jones seminoles back in 79 and 80 that's jc watts who will join us next here on the front row
0: Listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Only on 79 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith.
1: Welcome back to The Front Row. We're going to deviate from all this Florida State Louisville talk for just a little bit to talk about student-athletes and, uh, more importantly, benefits uh, for student-athletes. And to do so, we're going to go to our Earl Bacon Agency hotline the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we're going to welcome in former U.S. Congressman and former Oklahoma quarterback J.C. Watson. Uh, J.C., thank you so much for your time. Obviously, Keith Jones is by my side, and he has not slept since that 1980 Orange Bowl, as a matter of fact. So I don't know how much time we're going to spend reminiscing on that. That still pains Florida State faithful, but thanks for a few minutes of your time.
4: Guys, I got to tell you, Keith, you you guys probably helped launch my political career back in 1980-81, unbeknownst to you guys or to me. But in the 81 Orange Bowl, had uh, Forrest Valora miss that two-point catch, that two-point conversion, I probably couldn't have run for dog catcher in Oklahoma and get elected. But it worked out well for the Sooners, and I became good friends with Coach Bowden through – through all of it and through the fellowship of Christian athletes and his work there. And I remain a, a big fan of the Seminoles.
2: Well, Jesse, I will tell you, you and I have had the opportunity over the last thirty-something years to to see each other, uh, and I'll tell Florida State fans, I've I've shook your hand on three different occasions, and those were the first three times I touched you in two ball games. <laughs> 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 now, some of my other defensive uh, friends were able to lay a hand on you, but it wasn't me.
4: <laughs> well, Keith, that was good. That was good for me. I, I it understand. Wasn't good for you, but it was good for me. And by the way, I ended up. Uh, you know, uh, playing my my rookie year in 1981 in Canada, I ended up being teammates with uh, with Ron Simmons and um, Sam Platt. We all played on the same team, so. Uh, and when we were not practicing or, or, or competing, trying to beat someone else in the Canadian Football League, we always had a lot to talk about because of the 80 81 orange bowl.
2: No question. No question. Well, JC, you're involved in something that's been very dear to my heart for a number of years. And Tom and I have talked about it here on the front row, and that, you know, the, the increased or the enhanced benefit uh, to students. We've talked about the full cost of attendance and some other things, uh, trying to educate our listeners. But you're involved in a project that also close to home to me, with my insurance background, uh, involving the student athletes enhanced benefits plan, and that has to do with with health insurance and some additional benefits to uh, to kids. Tell us a little bit about that project.
4: Well, Keith, in in a nutshell, what that uh, what that enhanced benefits plan adds up to, and we've presented our plan to um conference commissioners, we've talked to presidents, we've talked to athletic directors, we've talked to the Knight Commission, almost anybody that would that would listen. Because the bottom line is I don't think that Keith Jones should have that, that he should be paid to play college football at Florida State University, but I don't believe that you should have to pay to play football at Florida State University. And and basically, back in the old days, you know, on Sundays, um, you know back in 1976, when I went to the University of Oklahoma on Sundays, I was on full scholarship. But on Sundays, I got breakfast, but I didn't get lunch and dinner. I had to pay for that. So that means that my parents, me, I had to come out of my pocket to be a student athlete. So this enhanced benefit plan, it just it, it's something that will give athletes coverage beyond their time at Florida State or Oklahoma University. Uh, we even have a, a stipend built in to, to our plan. I, 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 again, I don't think a kid should get paid, but I do think that a stipend of $200, $250, 500 a month, I, I do think that's, that, that's appropriate. And so the plan just kind of enhances the the university's um Ability to um, uh, offset some of the cost and some of the liability of these families and these young men and women that represent their respective universities.
2: And, of course, the biggest component of this is the medical-related. If if they were to be injured, if they were to become disabled, uh, any lingering things that uh, for the kids that uh, exhaust their eligibility, there's discussion about in, uh, in including this medical coverage up to age 26. It's just a way to kind of position these kids uh, that aren't going on to play professionally so that their expenses associated with their time at school can get taken care of.
4: That, and, 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 Keith, that, that's the bottom line. I. You know, I, I, fortunately for me, I, I can still jog, I, I still run, I still live. But uh, nevertheless, there are some things that I feel based on the time that I competed at the University of Oklahoma and, and injuries that I, I got there. Now, they're not injuries that I'm covering or that I had to cover, um, you know, continuing costs or to pay premiums out of my pocket, but there are young men and women that they do and and some of these things may not surface until after the eligibility is up and so having a a some type of policy that would continue covering them up until the point that they're 26 um you know having having something in place to take care of that uh, i think it's something that it, it's an idea whose whose time has come and and uh you know fortunately i've not gotten uh, a lot of blowback from the conferences or the commissioners or the athletic directors and, and so forth. As a matter of fact, we're in discussions with uh, the Division One Athletic Directors Association. It's an old friend of mine, Tom McMillan, who also spent some time in Congress and played in the NBA. So he understands these issues and understands the value of what we're doing. So I'm, I'm elated that Tom has uh, become a partner with us in this effort.
2: And to be fair, the NCAA does have a catastrophic program in place, but it carries a $90,000 deductible. So in terms of the health insurance, aside from the other uh, parts of your plan, uh, that would fulfill that that underlying thing that right now most schools and or conferences fund in a, in a multitude of different ways.
4: They, they, they do. And, and and of course, the catastrophic, it's the $90,000 deductible with hours it, it's half of that. it's about uh, forty five thousand dollars and we think we can uh, possibly even um, you know get that uh, get that cut down a, a little bit more. And so yes, keep these are the type of things that we've just put a comprehensive plan together to address I think the pressure points that athletic directors feel and trying to 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 pay or trying to control, uh, cost and and at the same time uh, enhance the benefits uh, for these student athletes and and you know another thing that that we do we say that these schools should give these kids uh, young men young women that they should have the opportunity for a certain period of time to come back to Florida State Oklahoma University and and finish their education. Uh, And now some schools do that already. Not all schools do that, but our plan uh, accommodates that uh, feature or allows for that feature. And um, Barry Switzer used to say to me, and Coach Switzer doesn't get a lot of credit for for thinking like this, but I can't tell you how many times I used to hear him say or that he had said to me uh, when I was at the University of Oklahoma, that he'd say, um, your academics will take you much further than your athletics. Now, in my case, that has been the case. And in most cases, probably 98% of the student athletes, uh, they, they uh, many of them, not all of them, but many of them focus more on the athletic side than they do the academic side. And sometimes it, it's three, four years after you've left Florida State or Oklahoma University that you realize, boy, did I blow it. Man, I should have spent more time at the library and pay more attention in, in the English class or, or the history class or whatever class it was. So, you know, this gives these kids an opportunity two, three years down the road to say, hey, you know, I need to go back to Oklahoma University and I've got, you know, 16 hours or 22 hours that I need to finish. It gives them a vehicle to do that.
1: We are talking with former OU quarterback and former U.S. Congressman J.C. Watch. J.C., I want to jump in as the neophyte in the conversation here that's not a risk management expert, also not a former uh, Division I student athlete. But to put a face on this, this week one of Florida State's best players, Derwin James, uh, was he, he underwent surgery yesterday for torn meniscus. It's probably a six- to eight-week, five- to seven-week rehab. You know, it, Chances are things will be fine, and he'll end up being a top-ten draft pick in the NFL in about a year from now, if a year and a half from now, if things progress. But as it stands now, understanding you can't speak specifically for Florida State because I don't know, and you may know, Keith, if he – say he didn't have a pro career, but three years from now, his knee's bothering him. He's on his own to go get that uh, taken care of. There's There's no help at that point once he's gone from FSU?
4: In some schools, Tom, that would be the case. And and I'm going to guess that Florida State, Oklahoma University, someone like that, or Ohio State University, some, some school like that that has an athletic budget that they can probably compensate for that. But when you get the, – the good thing about our plan is that it puts Florida State, Tulsa University, Boise State, you know – Southern Idaho State University, you know, all the directional schools. It doesn't matter who it is. It puts everybody on the on, on the same playing field. So, you know, if 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 Florida State has this plan, it's affordable for them. It's also affordable for Idaho State University or or Northeastern State University and in, 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 in Oklahoma, any of those schools. that would put them on a level playing field and in, in, in terms of being able to. Uh, allow that benefit to say that if the young man, if the young lady gets hurt, that they are covered beyond their playing time. If, if, if they say you can't play football again or basketball or, or whatever the sport is, you can't play it beyond your injury. Well, our our, our coverage uh, gives them, you know, some foundation to have some peace of mind that that, that some of those expenses or many of those expenses would be offset through the plan that we offer. So, yeah, that that's a perfect example of the of Florida State. Uh, of, of, now, like I said, Florida State probably can afford that, but some schools couldn't. And, and, and also under our plan, the reason we wanted to offer it to the mid-majors, to, to the majors, to – the smallest and, and, and the largest in in Division One and, and even other divisions as well, one uh, AA et cetera, is because it could become a recruiting tool. You know, to say, hey, I can offer this at Oklahoma University, but they can't offer it at, at Tulsa because of, of of their budgets. Well, this gives some relief in these athletic budgets to where we make we make the price for everybody. We reduce the price first of all, but we make it affordable. Um, For all that want to participate,
2: JC, let's change gears real quick. Is when our last uh, couple of minutes in this segment. You're an author now. I know you've written some other stuff, but you got a new book out. Dig deep. uh, The Keith Jones rating system. It was a two sitter. I read it in two settings. I loved it. I loved it. What was what was the inspirations of that?
4: Well, Keith and Tom, I, I wrote the book, and my first book was an autobiography that got into politics and. You know, current affairs and so forth. but this book was not a an autobiography or a political book. It was really a book written more about how to do life better. And and I think um, you know, it, it. I think it speaks to some of the current affairs or the political issues of the day. But it was it was more of a how do I do life better? And um, you know, dig deep is the name of it. Seven truths to finding the strength within. And and it, it, it deals with uh, just speaks to how I how, you know, I, I dealt with forgiveness. I mean, in politics, let me tell you, you have some horrible things happen, good, good, bad or indifferent. And, you know, dealing with forgiveness, you know, I thought of once upon a time, I thought, you know, man, if I if I forgive the person that did that to me, it makes them right. It doesn't make them right. It makes me free. You know, unburdening my soul um, with 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 unforgiveness—that's that, a good thing. Um, you know, our culture, uh, many traditions—you know—traditions you know, traditions aren't uh, in and of themselves aren't bad, but a lot of times, guys, our traditions lock us into uh, bad habits. They, our, our traditions sometimes can keep us from reaching our destiny. So I talk about unlearning. Uh, And dig deep. Just you know, saying you know, in in my wellness program, I used to think I love beans. Any kind of beans you want to cook, I love them. And in my culture, I I thought that you know, if you didn't have fat back or salt pork or ham hocks in your pinto beans, they were communist beans. (laughs) Well, my 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 wife started cooking beans minus all of that stuff, and uh, just putting seasonings in them. And guys, you know what they? They taste good, and they were much healthier for me. And so, you know, my mother was diabetic. My father had heart disease, and the doctor told me 25, 30 years ago, he said, you've got the gene. Well, I just learned to manage those things, and and, and we do it through what we eat and what we drink and how much we move. And so, you know, those are two of the things that I talk about and and, and dig deep. But, again, it it was a book about how— to do life better. And, and anybody in politics or business or any place else, anybody that says that's just the way I am, let me tell you, they're not. that person is not wanting to grow personally. And what they're saying is I don't want to be held accountable. Don't correct me. And there's no, no humility. And so um, uh, those are things that I talk about. I hope people will buy it. Uh, Dig deep seven truths to finding the strength within
2: well worth the read i can assure you jc thank
1: you so much uh for joining us uh if you want keith to sign any memorabilia from that 80 81 orange Bowl, just send it our way and he'll put his handcock on it for you
4: <laughs> well i appreciate that and i i uh look forward to uh you know a couple of three years ago i was there in tallahassee and uh spoke to the uh, seminole quarterback club i guess it was about three years ago so we had correct. a lot of fun yep. talking about that uh talking about that game and and uh, it was a fun time in my life, and like I said, I, I I've got some old friends from from that game, and thank you guys for letting me for letting me come on to talk about it a little bit.
0: Our
2: pleasure, our pleasure, JC. All
1: right, thanks again. We'll react to his comments, and we continue right after this on the front row.
0: you are listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979 ESPNradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith.
1: Just a couple minutes as per usual, thanks to uh, JC Watts. Do you, do you you
2: probably still do have some nightmares about that, don't you? I do. He rushed for about 140 yards in the first orange bowl. And and I'm not kidding you, I didn't touch him. I didn't touch him. I do think it is a fact lost on a lot of Seminoles
1: uh, that haven't been long-time Seminoles. And I wasn't around uh, – I mean, I was age 10 probably when that game was played. Uh, that There would have been a split national championship
2: had Florida State won that game. In the- if they don't convert that two-point conversion and we win that ball game 17-16, remember Georgia was playing Notre Dame. Notre Dame was only 10th or 11th or 12th in the country in Sugar Bowl everybody believed that we would if we'd been victorious because we were number two in the country going into the ball game that there would have been a split national championship that would have been florida state and coach bowden's first title which would have been amazing in the history of college football in the state of florida when you think back
1: to to miami in the 83 team which was before their bad boy image under schnellenberger they beat mighty nebraska as the the underdog not that it was a split title but uh, you know so they they put the stake in the ground first, and you guys were that close. I'm not okay. trying to rub salt in the wound. I'm just bringing this up for people who aren't aware that FSU – Pardon me. Does somebody have a tissue? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Let's. Should we change the subject?
2: Let's talk about the 13th time that two top 10 teams in the ACC have played during the
1: regular season. That's going to happen this week. I remember the. <laughs> it's not a top five. The first ever top five ACC matchup was 97 in Chapel Hill, Florida State, North Carolina. I I don't see the full list, but I bet if, if this is the 13th time, I bet Florida State was in the first seven or eight of them. I would think. Or maybe number two through eight. And then Virginia Tech took over when Florida State was down, and now FSU and Clemson are back on that list. Of course, list. the
2: biggest uh, oddity about this is, is you would think that would be the case with Florida State-Clemson. You didn't really think that with Louisville, but here they are. They've snuck in, and, and all eyes are going to be in Kentucky.
1: They, they've added something to this whole conversation really about have. the ACC because now it's not just a two-horse conversation here. Well, t- You've
2: got three top ten teams in the same division. Yeah, Not in the same conference, in the same division within a conference. They must be sweating it in the SEC
1: West. I don't know how they sleep at night thinking about the ACC Atlantic. We are out of time, aren't we? I think so. All right, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Folks, uh, have a great night, great week. Enjoy the game on Saturday, and don't forget to join us uh, Sunday morning at nine for Wake Up Knowles. We'll talk to you then. So long, everybody.